Our second scripture this morning continues with Psalm 139 at verses 13 through 18, also at page 448 in the Old Testament section of your pew Bibles. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. We celebrate the written word of Scripture. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Please join me in prayer. Holy God, with us always, let us come to this word open to being surprised. Clear the cobwebs from our ears, penetrate the corners of our hearts, and speak to us today. Amen. When my kids were little, they loved the book, The Runaway Bunny. The little bunny tells his mother he wants to run away from home. His mother doesn't stop him, but she warns, if you run away, I'll run after you. For you, for you are my little bunny. The bunny and his mother then share an imaginary game of hide and seek. The bunny says that if his mother follows him, he'll become a fish in a trout stream and swim away from her. If he does that, says the mother, she'll become a fisherman and fish for him. The bunny then says he'll become a rock on the mountain, a crocus in a hidden garden, a bird, a sailboat, and a circus acrobat. The mother answers each plan of escape with a way to be with him no matter what. Finally, the little bunny gets the point. Ah, shucks, he says. I might just as well stay home and be your little bunny, which he does. My children found this story profoundly comforting. To my surprise, I've since discovered that some parents think the runaway bunny is a little creepy. Likewise, I was surprised to learn that people have similarly opposite reactions to today's psalm, Psalm 139. While it's probably my favorite psalm, Others have told me they hear not comforting reassurance, but something more threatening, something along the lines of, I know where you live. <laughs> For some, this is God as stalker. But it's exactly God's initiative to pursue us that fascinates me. It's a radical idea when you think about it. For the entire sweep of human history, people have assumed that we have to seek God. That's one way to look at religion, the organized attempt to find and connect with God. And so we create rituals and obligations and beliefs designed to access an elusive, mysterious God to explain and define God and sometimes to put God in a box of our own making. But here in Psalm 139, it's God doing the pursuing. 
As with the runaway bunny, it suggests that God seeks and finds us, and that there's nowhere we can go, either by accident or on purpose, that will take us out of the range of God's presence and mercy and love. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. That's a very different idea of God and a different approach to religion. So instead of the human pursuit of God, religion becomes the way that human beings respond to God's initiative, to the love that will not let us go, as an old hymn puts it. Puts it. This theme runs throughout the Bible. In one story, God comes to the boy Samuel as a voice in the dark calling his name. Samuel thinks the old priest, Eli, is calling him. Three times the voice says his name, and three times Samuel goes to Eli to find out what Eli wants. The third time, Eli suspects that the voice is actually God and tells Samuel to answer. It takes four tries to get Samuel's attention, but you get the feeling that God will try as long as it takes. Old Eli's role, the priest's role, interestingly, is not to be the voice of God, but simply to suggest that Samuel might try listening to the voice calling his name. And maybe that's the better function of religion and of church, helping people to hear the voice of God calling their names in the middle of their lives. Few people literally hear God's voice or come to faith because of a single dramatic event. Some of us can't remember not having faith. For others of us, it's a lifetime of small moments. Author Sarah Miles writes that what we call conversion isn't, after all, a moment. It's a process, and it keeps happening with cycles of acceptance and resistance, epiphany and doubt. Psalm 139 points to this lifelong conversion in which God pursues us across the years. The stories of people who reflect on their own religious experience are helpful. Anne Lamott describes her gradual return to church and faith when her life was falling apart at the seams. She started attending church and says the sermons she heard sounded ridiculous to her, like someone trying to convince her of the existence of extraterrestrials. But she kept coming because she felt something was rocking her in its bosom, holding her like a scared kid. Finally, she said, I quit, or rather something like that, but not quite as pulpit-friendly. Something had been following her, she said, something hard to describe, but she knew somehow it was Jesus. She writes, I took a long breath and said out loud, All right, you can come in now. Kathleen Norris was raised a Christian, but like many of us, left the church for years. When she finally returned to her family's farm and went to church in Lemon, South Dakota, she writes, I came to understand that God hadn't lost me, even if I seemed for years to have misplaced God. In the first volume of his three-part memoir, 
Frederick Beekner writes that life, any life, his or yours or mine, is a sacred journey into which God speaks and comes. That's what makes it sacred. Beekner didn't grow up going to church. As a young man struggling to become a writer in New York, he discovered that he couldn't write a word. He started going to church for no better reason than that there was one down the block from where he lived, and he had nothing better to do on lonely Sundays. The church was Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. The pastor was George Buttrick. Beekner kept returning Sunday after Sunday. It was not just Buttrick's eloquence that kept me coming back, he writes. What drew me more was whatever it was that his sermons came from and whatever it was in me that they touched so deeply. And then there came one particular sermon with one particular phrase in it that does not even appear in a transcript of his words that somebody sent me more than 25 years later, so I can only assume that he must have dreamed it up at the last minute and liked it. And on just such foolish, tenuous, holy threads as that, I suppose, hang the destinies of all of us. Jesus Christ is king, Buttrick said, because again and again he is crowned in the hearts of the people who believe in him. And that inward coronation takes place, Buttrick said, among confession and tears and great laughter. It was the phrase, great laughter, that did it, did whatever it was that I believed must have been hiddenly in the doing all the years of my journey up till then. It was not so much that a door opened as that I suddenly found that a door had been open all along, which I had only just then stumbled upon. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? I connect with these words on a very personal level. I was raised Presbyterian, and my father's rule was, as long as you live in my house, young lady, you'll go to church, which pretty well guaranteed that I'd quit going to church when I went to college. But I had a solid theological excuse as well. I hadn't been exposed to any brand of Christianity that wasn't all about who was and who wasn't going to heaven after they die, based on what they believe. I wanted nothing to do with that, so I ran away from God and avoided the whole church question until I was in my 30s. That's when my older daughter said she wanted to go to Sunday school because someone at preschool told her it was fun, other kids were there, and she could wear her party dress. And a little child shall lead them rings true to me. I took her to a Presbyterian church, thinking there, at least, the BS would be predictable. I eased my way, I slouched my way back to church by going to adult ed classes while my daughter went to Sunday school. Those adult ed gatherings introduced me to a very different approach to Christianity, one focused on Jesus' teachings and God's love for all, rather than believing the right doctrines. When I finally went to a worship service, it was the hymns that broke me open. I began crying during the first one and wept through the benediction. Maybe like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, I had to leave home to find home, which had been there all along. 
And so this morning, just on the off chance that you might be fleeing from God, trying to hold God at arm's length, this idea of God's persistent love might be at least tantalizing. And even if it never occurred to you to run away from God, Psalm 139 reassures us that God is with us, loving us no matter what. And even more than that, God is trying to reach us, every one of us. Not at least for most of us, in a deep Charlton Heston voice from a cloud, but quietly, subtly, in moments of joy or despair, when we're about to give up hope that we or the world can change, when we don't know which way to turn. Even when we come to the end of our lives, even beyond death, God is there pursuing us, loving us. This is Frederick Beekner again. There is no event so commonplace but that God is present in it, always hiddenly, always leaving you room to recognize God or not recognize God, but all the more fascinatingly because of that, all the more compellingly and hauntingly. And so he says, listen to your life. It is into our lives that Christ comes. It is into our lives that God speaks our names in love and waits as long as it takes for our response, our faith, our trust, our love, our yes. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limit of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. Ah, shucks, we might as well be at home in God. May it be so for you and for me. Amen.